Good morning on this cold winter day. It's great to see all of you here. The choir anthem this, this morning is called All Things Bright and Beautiful, and I joked with them we should call it All Things Cold and Beautiful. Um, today we start our new series, so it's great that you're here in person worshiping. Um, our, it's called The Greatest Story, and this today our sermon and our, our service is focused at the beginning of Gen Genesis. So it's Praise God for His Creation Day. We have so much to praise Him for. So we will start with a responsive reading of Psalm 8. So let's stand and read it together this morning. We start with the men. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels. And crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Sweat. 
seated. John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Today, in addition to worshiping God for his great creation, we celebrate baptisms across all our services and how Jesus' light overcomes the darkness of our world. Here are some of the stories of those being baptized today. Mi nombre es Emma Montero Murillo y quiero declarar públicamente mi fe en Jesucristo por medio del bautismo. Jesucristo murió por nuestros pecados en la cruz y es nuestro salvador. Hola, soy Camila Mejía, tengo 7 años y hoy quiero que todo el mundo se entere de que me voy a estar bautizando porque yo acepto a Jesús en mi corazón como mi salvador y quiero hacer un acto de obediencia. Hi, I'm June. Today I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior because I believe I have seen. Jesus came, died, and rose again so I could be forgiven. God is always with me and only God can free me from sins. I'm committed to living my life following Him. Last summer, while on a mission trip with High School Life, the Lord showed himself to me in a very cool way. Since then, my relationship with the Lord has grown and been strengthened, and I know that I want to spend the rest of my life serving him. Today, I want to publicly declare to my church family that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Today, I want to publicly declare my faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. Uh, the reason why I decided to get baptized because I want to live by the Word of God, and I want to outwardly show my inner salvation. And I believe this is the next step to being a follower of Christ. So thank you so much, Wheaton Bible, for being a part of this new journey of mine. Buenas tardes, mi nombre es Jaira Hernández. Yo me quiero bautizar porque quiero acercarme más a Dios y quiero alejarme de mis pecados y acercarme a Él. También quiero ser uno de sus discípulos y quiero seguir su palabra. Otra cosa que me gustaría compartirles es que yo desde hace mucho tiempo que me quería bautizar Pero no había podido hacerlo, pero ahora me siento preparada para hacerlo y estoy muy feliz. It's beautiful. We rejoice that Jesus can be each of our Lord and Savior as well as the King of all creation. And so that leads us to a question that we can all answer together this morning and, and benefit each other as we share. So here's the question. What part of God's creation do you praise him for this morning? You can say the cold, but, you know, we might not like you anymore, but you can say that. Uh, so what part of God's creation do you praise him for, and what does it show you about him? So I might say I praise God for the seasons because they show me and they remind me that God is faithful through every season of my life or what the mountains or the sun or the trees show you about God. So we're going to open up the floor and see what comes to mind. What do you praise God you for, and what does it remind you of about him? Praise him for the light, yes. 
He leads us in that light. Yes, we had to close the shades because they were blinding half of our congregation over here. Yes, what else? Thank you, Jenny. Good, the creation of a newborn baby that God reminds us that he is the creator of all and the giver of all good, perfect gifts. Excellent. What else? I'd like to report that uh, rainbow he gave around his son today and show of hope that he is in charge of all things. The rainbow around the sun today that gives us hope and shows us that he's in charge. Excellent. Yes. What else? The snow that reminds us that he makes all things clean and new. Thanks. Wonderful. A few more things, surely, we can think of. I thank him for the, the uh, tremendous engineering and design that he expressed in creation through the laws of physics and chemistry. The tremendous uh, engineering of design that he expressed in creation through physics and chemistry. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? That was it. No, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, which, which he exercised in great and unfathomable power when he created. Shows us his great power. All the, all the different rules of science that we're learning just shows us his great power that he has. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Reminds me of the breath of God, the breath of life, and the Holy Spirit. The wind reminds us of the breath of God, the breath of the Holy Spirit. Yes. One more. When it's not quite this cold, being able to get out and enjoy and hike and enjoy the beauty of his nature and knowing that he has created it for my enjoyment. Oh, the cold, when it's not quite this cold, but when it's a little better cold, <laughs> that we can hike and enjoy all the creation that he has created, even just for us to enjoy. That's wonderful. Oh, well, that, thank you for sharing. That edifies us all when we can be together and be a, a big, small group of people sharing. Uh, we pray that this next song from the choir also encourages you to meditate on how creation points us to God. So all things bright and beautiful.
through our worship.
it would be a great time to get to know someone around you. So share your name and how cold it was when you woke up this morning. And then you may be seated. Morning. I'm glad that you all made it uh, through this weather. Uh, I can see that we're all dressed in sweaters today to keep nice and warm. And as we continue on in our worship, we want to continue on to the giving of our tithes and offerings. So I want to invite the ushers to come forward. As a reminder, there's a variety of ways to give here at the church. You can give online at wheatonbible.org/give. You can give in the plates as they're passed in a moment. Or you can send your gifts to the offering, uh, your, send your offerings to the church office. Ushers, you may pass the plate. As the ushers are passing the plate, I want to remind you just of a few things. First off, uh, as a church family, as church leadership, we want to extend our gratitude to your generos- for your generosity throughout the year. Your faithful contributions have enabled our church to love God, love one another love our neighbors, and love the nations. And in just a few weeks, on Sunday, January 28th, in the afternoon at 2.30 p.m., we will hold our annual meeting. This meeting takes place each year and will take place in the West Worship Center. It's a time when we as a church family get to come together and celebrate what God has done this past year. And as members, we get to participate in the voting in of new elders our 2023 financial uh, report, and our 2024 ministry financial plan. As you're preparing for that meeting, we we encourage you to check out the informational packets and learn uh, all that we're going to be talking about. You can pick up those packets at the welcome desk after the service this morning. We want to encourage everyone can attend, uh, but just a reminder that uh, only those who are members will be able to vote. So if you missed out on joining us as a member this year, uh, please uh, prepare and take that time to join us as a member in this coming year. Let's now take the time to pray as we prepare to hear the Word of God. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give great thanks for your provision for our church in this past year. Lord, you have done great and mighty things and and made your name known. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in and through our church. And we thank you for the generosity of the people that you have placed in our church. Lord, we continue to ask for your wisdom and discernment as we prepare for the 2024 year. Lord, we do not know what's before us, but you do. And you are preparing us to serve you well. Lord, we also lift up this day as our nation celebrates MLK Day tomorrow. We pray as a church that embraces the beauty of diversity. 
that we would echo Dr. King's biblical message from Revelation chapter 5. That we would celebrate the promises of heaven as the angels sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So Lord, as we as a church pursue the restoration of the world broken since Eden, we pray that we would join together as a congregation unique, diverse, but purchased by your Son's blood to serve you. And Lord, as we begin our study through your word, would you continually reveal who you are to us and your unfolding story of salvation. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak now through Pastor Hannibal. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. As we said, we're beginning a new series today. We're going to be looking at the story of God all throughout Scripture. And so our Scripture reading begins in Genesis. So if you turn with your Bibles to me to Genesis chapter 1, as we see where God's story begins. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 26. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said that the land produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees in the land that bear fruit with its seed according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, 
to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is the word of the Lord. All right. How is the brave people of Witten Bible Church? Yeah. How about if, yeah, give you each other a round of applause. Um, just so you know, my, I've been fighting this cold for the last two days. So my body is intoxicated with medicine. So if I say something that doesn't make any sense, you could always blame it on the medicine. Amen? For those of you visiting for the first time, my name is Hannibal, uh, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all again. Uh, today, I'm super excited because we get to start this new series called The Greatest Story, the Story of God and His Bride or God and His People. So if you don't have a journal, you still get the chance to get a journal. It's a little book with all the passages that we're going to be uh, looking at for the next 20 weeks. Uh, you can get one of those in the front somewhere. Um, and basically, we're going to be talking about what some uh, theologians will call the story of redemption. So all this story, the greatest story, another name to call it is the story of redemption. And what I mean by that is that when, when you look at the Bible, the Bible is this collection of different historical events, of different people with different stories that at the end of the day, they are all part of a single story. One story, the story of God, God's story. And not only God's story, but God's plans and God's purposes with and through his people. It's just one story. Now, when you learn to read the Bible like that, you, fi you find the Bible fascinating. Because you get to see that this book is a book in which you have about 40 different authors of different backgrounds, different times, with different personalities, going through different experiences. But all of them going under the guidance and influence of the Spirit of God. And each of them contributes to this story of redemption. That's why I don't think that people have permission to have, in, in a sense... Only some books of the Bible that we find are our are, are favorite books of the Bible. Because at the end of the day, the whole Bible is the story of redemption. Of redemption. 40 different authors. 66 different books talking about one God, one story. Like in any good story, uh, there are chapters. 
So the way we can divide the Bible is by dividing it into four different chapters. We call it the creation chapter, in which we see how, God, how everything is started, God's original design for this creation, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And then you got a second chapter, which is the fall chapter, in which we see how everything that God created good now is damaged because sin entered the world. It's not destroyed, but damaged. And then you get chapter 3, which we call the redemption chapter, in which we focus on Jesus Christ and everything that he came to do as a person and as a savior. He's presented in that chapter as the redeemer, the savior, the fixer, if you will, or the one that is going to restore everything that has been broken. And then the last chapter is the restoration chapter, which in my opinion might be one of the best chapters. Because we get to see what God is going to do at the end of time. We actually get a picture of what this world is going to look like. Actually, part of the prayer I made uh, for the Martin Luther King prayer celebration thing, it was that image of a time and a place in which people of all languages and tribes and all kinds of people and ethnicity come together worshiping one God and one God alone. It's an amazing picture. But there's one more thing that we've got to pay attention about this redemption story. Is that because, like in any good story, you, you need a hero. And the hero of this redemption story is no one else but Jesus Christ. So when we look at the Bible, we also have to see it as one story in which everything, and I'm quoting here, uh, Brian Chappell, everything either predicts or prepares for or reflects or results from the person of Jesus and what he came to do. Let me say it again. In this redemption story, Jesus is the hero, and everything in the Bible either predicts, pre uh, prepares for, reflects, or results from the person of Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Meaning that there oh, there's always a way for us to see Jesus or glimpses of Jesus or glimpses of what Jesus came to do regardless of where we are in this story. So for the next 20 weeks, we're going to walk together through this story. And today we're going to preach the first sermon of three sermons that we're going to dedicate to the chapter on creation. So if you have your journal, you should have a title there that says creation. And these are the two points that I have for today. We're going to talk about how and why everything is started, how and why everything is started, and number two, why and how we can embrace it all. How and why everything is started and why and how we can embrace it all. So to start, I need you to do me a favor. If you have a person sit sitting next to you, could you please say this to this person? We are part of the greatest story ever, ever told. Go ahead. All right, I know that there's very few of us, but I'm going to need a little bit more energy. I told you that I'm sick, man. I got medicine inside of me, so I'm going to need your help. All right? We are part of the greatest story ever told. So let's go with point number one, how and why everything started. Now, let me start with this. Um, I, I think that one of the things that keeps us from being really transformed by the person of God, being transformed by looking at the beauty and the perfection, power, mercy, grace, and sufficiency of God, has to do and how we view the Bible and we view life, and it has to do how we approach the Bible and how we approach life. Because I think that the tendency for many of us, if not all of us, is to see the Bible and life as first and foremost about us. 
Think about this. Have you ever heard anybody talking about the Bible as a handbook for life? Or a guidebook for life? Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that concept, right? I, I think that the Bible is a handbook and is a guidebook. But the problem there is when we think that this book is first and foremost about us. So, for example, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verses 16 and 17 says... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So to a certain degree, the Bible is somehow about us. But my argument is going to be that it's not, first and foremost, about us. Once again, that the Bible, at the end of the day, is the story of God. That he is the focal point. That he is at the center of it. And that is his story. And we happen to be part of that. But we are not the focal point. Let, let me explain it this way. Have you ever been in a wedding? Well, how many of you guys have ever been in a wedding? Please raise your hand. Whether you're here or in this worship. All right. So you guys like to party. That's good. Have you ever been? Have you ever been in a wedding in which you see someone that is wearing this extravagant clothing to the point that that person takes the attention of the room when we know, I mean, at least we should know that the attention should be on the couple that is getting married. Have you guys ever been in a place like that? Listen, I, I see it all the time. And I feel like saying, Dude, you, you're just trying too hard, man. This wedding is not about you. Actually, it gets worse. I, I've seen pastors wearing such an outfit that everything inside of me feels like saying to the pastor, dude, this, this wedding is not about you. Well, I think that many times we approach the Bible just like that. We, we, we look at the Bible and life and we think, yeah, this is about me. And yes, it is, but not first and foremost. The story of redemption is about God. It's about what he has done. He is doing and he will do. Now, there are three things that we see here in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, there's much more, but... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this uh, in different chapters, in different uh, sermons. But there's at least three things that makes this super clear to us from Genesis chapter 1. The story is about him and his power. The story is about him and his rights. The story is about him and his power. The story is about him and his rights. And the story is about him and his purposes. So let's go with the first one first. In Genesis 1, it's all about him and his power. Now, I don't know if you've, Genesis 1 is a very well-known passage. I, I'm sure that you read that, that, that chapter time and time again. And part of the reason why we want to read the whole thing, so the whole thing is one super clear passage, is that Genesis chapter 1 is extremely, extremely God-centered. Let, let, me, let, let me walk you through this. Just, just listen. Let me walk you through this. It's in, in verse number 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, 
It was the Spirit of God who was hovering over the crazy water. He birthed, it was the one that, that God said. He birthed God. In verse uh, 5, God called it the light day. Uh, verse 6, God said, there may, uh, let there be an expanse between the water. In verse 7, God. Up, church. Thirty-four purposes. Thirty-two times his name is mentioned. If I'm preaching this sermon and I mention Hannibal, and Hannibal is Hannibal that Hannibal, Hannibal, Hannibal. It's about me. This is a song. It's a poem in which Moses wants to make sure writer of Genesis, that we get it, that it's all about God. God created, God said, God did, God blessed, God made, God, 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 God. You know how detrimental it is for us to approach the Bible at night thinking that it's about us? Everything is because of him, it's about him, and it's for him. As much as we live in this part of the world, we got to let it sing, man. This world is not about us. We are not at the center of the universe. He is. It's all about him. Now, let me break that down for you because not only his name is mentioned 32 times in 31 verses, but it actually explains to you why he said that God is God and we not. Why is that the story is about him and not us? So, for example, in verse 1, it starts with a simple uh, declaration that God created the heavens and the earth. And the, inter the interesting thing about the, the word created in the original there is that that word has not be, is not applied to anybody else in the scriptures except God. Meaning that the only person that is truly, truly the creator of all, the ultimate creator, is him. And that us as human beings, we, even if we are artists or create things, we are sub-creators. Because we don't have the ability nor the power to create matter. And everything we create is taking the stuff that God already made to make something new. Now, not only it shows you that God is the only one that is truly a creator makes this even more profound is how God creates. I love, these are my favorite verses from the New Testament. Actually, no, I love the whole thing, but I really like this one. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it shows us a little bit that the, everything was kind of a mess. You know, picture an artist that is going to start something, and it starts with kind of a, a messy thing. But then look at what it says in verse 3. And God said, and God spoke, 
Let there be light. And there was light. You know how effortless that is? He speaks and things happen. He speaks and everything submits to him. That little phrase is going to be repeated uh, six more times. In verse 6, it says, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And it happened. And in verse 9, it says, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it happened. And in verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And it happened. And it happened, and it happened again in verse 14, and in verse 20, and in verse 24, and in verse 26. He speaks and things happen. There is power in his word. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't need to do anything. He just speaks and things happen. Like you could tell that I haven't preached for two weeks and I'm so full of energy. And I, oh, it's only the medicine, people. It's only the medicine. God speaks and things happen. Let's do a practical application here. Really quick. So you don't miss this. Every, if the Bible is the word of God, and it is, amen? Every time we expose ourselves to the word of God, something is happening, amen? Whether you see it or not. Because when God speaks, something happens. Then how much can we stand? Because when you look at the rest of the Bible, actually when you, you look at the rest of the New Testament, the, the Old Testament specifically, you're going to notice that whenever someone or a kingdom attack another kingdom, the first thing that they will, do, that they will do is change their name. So there's a pattern in the Old Testament that says that when you name something, that means that you have rights over that thing. 
So not only, uh, so, so for example, think of an artist. You know, you create something, you name something, you have rights over that piece of art. So when, when the Bible says that he called and he named, by the way, he says it again in verse 8 and in verse 10. In verse 8 says God called the expanse of heaven and God called the dry land. It's a way of God saying that he has the right over all creation. He names creation. Not only he makes creation, but he names creation. He has the right over all creations. And this is the part that people don't like to hear. Human beings, you and I, we are part of that creation. Therefore, God has rights over everything we are and everything we have. There's nothing in our lives in which God cannot say, I have rights over him or over her. So, for example, if you're single, God has rights and dictates what you do with your singleness. If you are in a relationship, if you're dating, if you are in a situationship, which is a brand new term I learned a few months ago. That means that you got rights and God dictates what you do in those relationships. If you're married, God has rights and rules over your marriage. He has rights and rules over your career, your money, your hobbies, your body, what you do in public and what you do in private. You don't have permission to say, God does not have rights over my life in this area. And if that is true, then we also don't have permission to grab the parts of the Bible that we like and we don't like. All that is Genesis chapter 1. And whenever we walk away from that, and whenever we forget that God has the rights over everything, we do really dumb things. Actually, because we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, let me use this example. Did you know that there is a quote-unquote Bible that is called the Slave Bible? Did you know that? I actually have a copy of that in my office to remember what happens when we forget that God has the rights over everything. That Bible was put together in the 1800s. And it was put together by slave owners. And what they did is chose all the passages that they thought would justify slavery. And left all the 20 other million passages that would never justify slavery. Isn't that crazy what we could do? So people in modern day times would say, I would never do that. That is so awful. And what I would say, we might not do that, let's say, in terms of slavery anymore. But we do it with other things, church. We do it when we talk about gender, for example, nowadays. We do it when we talk about money nowadays. We do it when we talk about what is permissible and not permissible. We do it when we talk about politics, for goodness sake. Man, God keep us from any, anybody ever say stuff that I've heard in the last four years. If Jesus was here, he would have to be a Republican, so people say. And some of the people would say, well, he rode a donkey, so he had to be a Democrat. 
You know how foolish that is? That's, that's what happens when we take things and sections and fragments of something and we say, yeah, I allow God the rights over this, but not this. We do the same thing, and this is going to be super personal here for my church, my loving church. We do the same thing we worship. If God was here, we would never worship that way. You know what happens? We are adding to the scripture or subtracting, subtracting to the scripture, and we do that because we forget that only God and his words have the right over everything. Actually, let, let me give you another example that we find in the text. So in the history of the church, and I actually, I, I would say that still today in some circles, um, Christianity or Christians have been divided into different groups. The ones that I, I'm going to call the traditional evangelistic group. These are the group that says that what matters most is that we preach the gospel and every single one of us will have to say amen to a certain degree. But the other group will be, well, well, no, no, evangelism is good, but what really matters that Christians should do, and I'm going to call this traditional compassionate group, is the one that actually hyper-focuses on deeds. So one group focuses on evangelism, the other group focuses on deeds, compassionate deeds, helping the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, all of this stuff, right? But, but if God has the right over everything, we have to ask God, what is it that he thinks about that? Once again, because we don't have permission to grab only parts of the Bible that we want, only parts of the Bible that we like. We have to ask the question, what does God say about all of that? Well, Genesis chapter 1 is a very crucial, very important chapter to have the, that conversation. So, for example, if we look at verses 26 and 27, let's look at it together. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So that God created in his, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the Bible is super clear. All humanity, males and females. We don't get to redefine those things. Male and female, both were created in the image of God. Therefore, means that all humanity, all males, all females, carry within them the beauty of God. Meaning that we should be able to see the beauty of God in everyone, regardless of how they look or who they are. Are you guys with me? Everyone. Now, if that is true, what part of that humanity we should care about the most? The soul or the body? Yeah, of course you're not going to answer because I'm the preacher here. But we would say, based on that passage alone, everything. If the person is a human being created in the image of God, we don't get to create a dichotomy. We embrace the person, the soul and the body of the person. Actually, I want to make the argument that no one needs to be convinced that the soul of a person matters. I hope. Amen? I think that sometimes we need to convince Christians that physical needs also matter. And Genesis answers that. Look at what it says in verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
This is physical creation. Verse 21. And God created the great seas, creatures, and every living creature that moves. And God saw that it was good. Physical creation. And when he talks about humanity, right in the last verse, verse 31, he says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We're going to talk more about that next week, God willing. But you notice, there's goodness in the physical world. But being a human is much better. But the reason why I want to show you that is because as Christians, we do have a theology that justifies why is it that we should care about this creation, this physical world. We have a theology God called the good. But we also have a theology based on these verses that justifies why is it that we should care for the spiritual needs of people and the physical needs of people because they were very good. So as much as the church has been divided, the Bible says, no, body and souls matter. Evangelism and compassion, and compassionate needs matter. Maybe sometimes you focus more on one and the other, but at the end of the day, we don't have permission to create a dichotomy that separates those two. Are you guys still with me? See, we create those divisions because the tendency is to pick and choose. Like if God doesn't have the rights over everything. You know how crazy it is that a group of people, quote unquote Christians, created the slave Bible for goodness sake? You know how awful, horrible, offensive, and anti-Christian that is? Is there anything in this creation in which God cannot say, this is mine? To be transformed, not only we need to understand that the whole Bible and life is about him. That the whole Bible and life is about him being the ultimate creator. That he is the ultimate power. That he speaks and things happen. And that he has the rights over everything. Who I am, what I do, how I think, how I live. In public and in private. He has the rights. He has the rights. At the very least, as Christians, we got to ask the question, God, what, what do you think about this? And there's one more thing that we see in Genesis chapter 1 that we got to pay attention to, to be transformed. And it's also that not only the Bible and life is about him, but it's because everything in life, than the Bible and life, is about his purposes for this creation. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is it that God created everything in the first place? Why is it that God created everything? Once again, I'm about to say something that is offensive to modern ears. See, we could read the Bible and say, well, God created me for me. God created me for me. <laughs> but there's nothing that is farther away from the truth than that. Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear that everything that he created, part of the reason why his name is mentioned so many different times, is everything in this creation, this creation was for him. His glory, his joy, his reputation. This is why if you are a believer, you shouldn't have any issues 
looking at anything and everything in this beautiful creation and allow the Holy Spirit to use that and take you back to God. Because everything points back to him. Everything points back to him. Let me, I use the example of art. If you create something, it doesn't matter if you're there or not there. Wherever that thing goes, people would always ask the question, who made this? And that thing will point back to you. Everything in this creation points back to him. The beautiful skies worships him. The magnificent, uh, a magnificent mountain points back to him. The perfection of nature worships him. A beautiful baby with a beautiful smile points back to him. Anything that is beautiful points back to him. A song, a piece of art, something we make with our hands points back to him. And as human beings, when we look at each other, we should point back to him. Because he made it all. And he made it all for his glory and his purposes. I heard uh, Tim Keller talking about this. He learned this from, uh, uh, who was it? Anyway, another teacher. Uh, and, and this lady was saying that when you think about that, about this concept, animals worship the Lord better than humans. Because animals are living in light of their purpose for which they were created. And we're not. Elizabeth Elliot, she was the one that said it. And we're not. I told you that Genesis 1 is like, it's a song. It's a historical song. It's a historical poem. And what is interesting is that if you really look at creation with spiritual eyes, we're going to call it that way, you could almost hear creation singing. You, you, cre you could hear creation singing about its creator. And as they sing, we are invited to worship him as well. And if you think about it, this is the reason why we struggle. Because you were created to worship him. And if you don't worship him, you are not living according to your own design. We are not living according to our own design. It doesn't matter your career and the things you do. If we are not living for the purposes of God, the glory of God, we are not living according to to our own design. That's why we struggle, church. Everything is about him. The story is about him. He's the one that has power over everything. He creates by the power of his word. He's got rights over everything. And everything in his creation is supposed to be living for his purposes. So the question is, and this is going to go fast, how do we change? How do we actually embrace all of this and are transformed by all of this? And that takes me to my second point, why and how we can embrace this all. And I'm going to try to be quick here. So there is a difference 
between, you could say, nature and us as human beings. See, nature, even though they don't have the capacities, abilities, and we're so different between, let's say, an animal and us, there is a difference about nature and us in this sense. Nature knows intrinsically by design that when God looks at them, he says, it is good. I, I can't explain how that works. All I, all I know is that by nature, this nature knows that when God looks at them, says, it is good. What's the difference between nature and us? That we also know the story in Genesis chapter 3. That we also know that sin entered the world and damaged what God had created. And that even though we still carry the image of God, because the image of God is not erased from us, but now it's broken, there is something inside of us all that is always thinking, can I please hear someone saying that is very good? So part of the reason, listen up church, part of the reason why we are uh, thinking that the Bible and this life is about us, part of the reason is why we say that we are intoxicated for things that will give us power, part of the reason why we fight against the rights of God and we think that we have rights, part of the reason why we are doing all of these things is because somehow we are craving and looking for something that would say to us, you are good, very good. This is part of the reason why we crave people's opinions so much and people's approval so much. This is part of the reason why we're trying to move up in organization and do more and more and more and conquer more. Because we know that we lost something in Genesis chapter 3. The blessing that we receive in Genesis chapter 1, you are very good, got damaged in Genesis chapter 3, and now we are craving for that, looking for that blessing, if you will, all over the place. And therefore, we cannot read Genesis chapter 1 without thinking about Jesus. You guys remember what John chapter 1 says? In Genesis chapter 1, it says it was very good. And in John chapter 1, we find this. In the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. And the word was with God. So it makes a distinction between Jesus, God, Jesus, and God the Father. And the word was God. And it tells you that Jesus is not the Father, but he's God. And he was in the beginning with God. From eternity has always been with the Father and the Holy Spirit, we also have to assume. All things were made through him. And it tells you that he was the agent God the Father used to make this creation good. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him there was life. And he tells you that Jesus is the only one that could bring life. And the life was the light of man. And light has the power to penetrate and change things and make them new again. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And he gives us glimpses of the cross. Listen up, church. What makes this story so beautiful is that we have a God that created us very good. And that, we, that because of our sin, this thing that was very good got damaged and broken. And therefore, we have been looking for this for so long. 
But this is the Jesus, why the word of God came. Not only to restore what was broken. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, not only he is restoring what is broken, but also to give us the very blessing we quote unquote lost in Genesis chapter 3. This is why Paul says that in him we have all the spiritual blessings. You know what that means? That if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks at you, he delights in you. Isn't that crazy? He delights in us. Why? Because the word of God became a human being. To go to the cross, to take the darkness, so we could receive his light. Isn't that the greatest story ever told? And we get to be part of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, before Genesis 1, we are amazed. Oh, how beautiful and perfect and powerful and magnificent and sufficient you are. Lord, we recognize that not only the Bible and life is all about you, that the Bible and life is all about your power, that the Bible and life is all about uh, your rights and your purposes, Lord, but that in the midst of all of that, you created us to be like you. What a, what a beautiful, amazing thing. I pray, Lord, that you help us embrace, believe that reality. But more than that, Lord, I pray that you help us believe and embrace the reality that the very word that created this world was the very word that went to the cross to die for our sins, to recreate us again, to make us new again. We are grateful for that, Lord. Please help us live in light of that. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Praise God for the speaking of his word through a pastor. And also for your patience as they try to solve technical problems this morning. If you wondered about the sound at times, so did I. And I was ready to... Uh, to uh, lead you in some hymns while they got it sorted out. But what struck me is that week after week, we have the blessing of working and worshiping in a church where these things are virtually invisible. The uh, army of people who work in technology to support what we do and uh, how well we do it together. But it couldn't happen without that army of people. They're problem solving all the time. And they're some of the most wonderful people I've ever known. I'm so thankful to be with them. Take somebody out to coffee sometime who, who does this work every Sunday and guides us. Well, the great hymn, How Great Thou Art, leads us in another way because it's a great gospel song that allows us to put to words things that maybe we have thought 
or maybe we've said, but never so poetically as this. I was with dear Christian friends walking in the forest one day outside of Moscow, Russia, and my dear friend who was head of the Baptist seminary there, he said, do you hear that bird? And it was the Russian nightingale. He said, do you hear that bird, Tony? And he said, that's the bird we think of when we hear and hear the bird sing sweetly in the trees. And so it's, it's just fun to think that we're connected to that hymn because Swedish missionaries went to Russia and learned it and brought it back. And then George Beverly Shea discovered it and brought it to the Billy Graham Crusades. And because of that, we have one of the most beloved hymns in all of Christendom. And today, with the context of creation, Genesis 1, and the story that's about God, we can stand and sing it with fresh understanding and perspective, can't we? Let's stand and sing.
Amen. Well, just a couple of reminders. Uh, first off, if I apologize again for the technical difficulties this morning. If for some reason you weren't able to hear some of the message, uh, please join and, and, and listen online to catch up and, and, and hear all the points that Hannibal had made this morning in preparation for next week. Also a reminder, our groups continue to launch here in January. And so if you are not connected with a group, are you looking to connect in a different way outside of Sunday morning, uh, please see the tables out in the atrium. There's a variety of ways that we would love for you to be connected with us and join a group and a community this spring. Secondly, uh, for all the men in the room, can I hear you men? Listen up. Uh, I, I need a little bit more, right? Men? Awesome. We have an amazing opportunity to come up here in January 27th. We're hosting a one-day men's conference. And Pastor Hannibal and some others will be diving into biblical definition of manhood and what does it mean for our communities. Uh, you can go online at wheatonbible.org slash manhood uh, and register, or you can register at the men's table. We'd love for all the men to join us for that, week, uh, for that uh, day. Let's receive the benediction that God has for us this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known in the earth and your salvation among the nations. Wheaton Bible Church, you're sent this morning. Have a great day. Thank you.